to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We're glad you're here. Hey, what's up? And welcome to another episode of EST, the podcast for established church leaders by established church leaders. My name is Josh King. Micah and Sam are on right now. What's going on, guys? I'm curious, Micah, about your shirt. Our our listeners can't see it. So you've got a Chevrolet shirt on. And let me tell you, my wife's family is all Ford people, and it's kind of rubbing me the wrong way. It it looks like a NASCAR. Oh, my gosh. You guys. This is this is American exceptionalism in the worst kind of way. This is ethnocentrism. This oh, is the Lord. world's largest sport, and this is the most valuable team in the world, including Chevy? higher value than any NFL team. No, it's Manchester United. It's it's the uh, English Premier League. Oh, soccer! Uh, love, yeah, yeah, it's soccer. I love Man U. I'm a big Man U fan, so I've got probably. They should make their name larger. I thought you were playing for the Chevrolets. No, that, get ready for this. This is coming for the NBA, NFL, and Major League Baseball, y'all. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I realized that. They're, and the MLB will be the last. I mean, they... Well, I mean, you know, MLB's got the new... Uh, they, they started to make the foray into it this year by uh, switching uniform suppliers to Nike, and now their logo is officially the, on their the, uniforms. The Nike logo is yeah. on the baseball so, uniforms for the first time. on the back pants. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's and cool. it's all good. You know, it's it's a business. I get it. It is. It is. And, and uh, the economy. And, man, we could see it escalate after uh, COVID-19, to be honest mm-hmm. with you, because people are mm-hmm. looking for ways to generate revenue. Of course, they've got to have the advertisers who have the revenue. So, we'll see what right. happens. But. All right. So, this show is not brought to you by Chevrolet or a <laughs> boring <laughs> sport. Chevrolet truck. Um, it's beautiful. <laughs> so, what is this show brought to you by? Hey, listen. We've got a better sponsor. We we have one of the best church initiative, the creators of Grief Share and Divorce Care. And we wanted to take a minute to talk about just how much church initiative is willing to do to help your church start a grief share or divorce care program. They have made it as simple and easy as possible for churches to be able to offer a grief or divorce recovery ministry. All you need is just one volunteer, just one. Just connect one lay leader to the church initiative team and they will take it from there. So, you're freed up from other ministry while Divorce Care and Grief Share ministry coaches help your volunteer get the ministry up and running and continue to provide support after it's launched. The coaches offer a ministry launch plan that is customized for your church, then provide a step-by-step support, including helping your lay leader build a ministry team. Plus, these coaches are always available to help answer questions and offer encouragement. And this coaching is always free. And that's how Church Initiative is different. Most of the time you buy a course and you're on your own, not with Church Initiative. They offer unparalleled ministry support. Something else that they do is uh, the pastors just love that Church Initiative makes it possible to expand their care with these ministries without adding more commitments to their calendar. So, all of this is great. Go uh, download the Divorce Care Grief Share Quick Start Guide, which gives you a great overview of the ministry and all their coaches and how you do everything. This is where you get it. This is the important part. Divorcecare.org slash start slash EST or griefshare.org slash start 
slash EST. So let me say this one more time. Divorcecare.org slash start slash EST or griefshare.org slash start slash EST. A lot of slashes there, uh, just like one of my favorite bands, Guns N' Roses. So uh, <laughs> it's just a little, wow. little, little bonus material. Uh, no connection between our sponsor and uh, one of the best bands of all time. I, uh, the, the sweet child of mine guitar opening is one of the most uh, it's just so fantastic do you do, do you know the story behind that i don't Tell uh slash was just being funny and uh it was uh circus music he was playing circus music and it came out really like mm-hmm. mm. really i think that i think that's it i mean I'm, I'm you know there's probably some super fan who's going to correct me on that but that's the story that's that awesome Pro. Nobody's going to just randomly correct you on some meaningless stat. It certainly won't happen on social <laughs> media anywhere. That's that's an insane expectation. So, let's talk about expectations. Yes. Uh, the topic today is transitioning, which I think that, you know, a lot of people fail to launch in this transition from going from preacher to pastor. And that's important when you are pastoring an established church, no? Yeah. Yeah, I want to. Do you guys remember your first sermon? I have uh, my first sermon is actually on YouTube, not the video, the audio is on YouTube. My very first sermon, it's wow, it's horrible. I remember the setting. I don't remember. Is it on your YouTube channel? Because I'm looking that up. It is on my YouTube channel. There's a picture of me preaching it, as a matter of fact. Mm. I was 16 or 17 years old, so Mm -hmm. you know, this is uh, 25 years ago or so. Yeah, I was as well. Not 25 years ago. I wasn't 16, but yeah, when I was 16, that's when I was preaching. First sermon. I remember mine. Yeah? Yeah. I was, I would have been, uh, let's see, like 24 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was uh, on a Wednesday night at a church in the area and they were gracious enough, the pastor there was gracious enough to... Uh, to let me fill in. Um, I got the gig because my dad was the interim pastor. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> first sermon, Wednesday night, Bible study, uh, but in the, in the worship space. He let me do it in the worship space. Mine, and was, yeah. uh, mine was on a Sunday morning in Whoa. June. My, one of my dad's best friends, it was Oakey Ridge Baptist Church outside of Chipley, Florida. And he was gone to the Southern Baptist Convention and he asked me to fill in that morning and his son was a year younger than me and was going into ministry. In fact, he's an army chaplain today and he preached the Sunday night sermon. Hmm. Oh, wow. Yep. What was the name of the town again? Chipley, Florida. Chipley. Right, okay. But what's, okay. I know where Chipley is. The, um, the, I love, you know, I love anything itself, Florida. The church itself is about eight to 10 miles outside of Chipley in the, in the, in the country. It's called. But Oakey, what was the name of it? Oakey Ridge Baptist Church. Oakey Ridge. I don't, I'd never heard of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was a small, it is. I'm a shocked. Rural church. Yeah. So what is the problem? Why do so many people fail to go from being preacher to pastor? What are some of the root causes of that? So, I think one of the root causes, and and, okay, I'm going to say this as a root cause of the problem while acknowledging that this is still a good thing, okay? So, follow me here. There has been a resurgence of the primacy of the pulpit over the last 15 or 20 years, but one of the sort of inherent dangers with the resurgence of the primacy of preaching and expository preaching in the pulpit is we have misunderstood that preaching is not the same thing as pastoral care. And so sometimes you've got folks who, especially young, who don't know any better. They're just, well, I'm going to be in my, you know, my study 20 hours a week. I'm going to make sure that I preach really good sermons. And that, I mean, when I was at Lifeway, we did a a survey uh, of American Protestant pastors and asked them, what's the number one discipleship 
uh, tool in your toolbox. And the vast majority, I'm trying to remember the number off the top of my head, but I think it's around 90% said when I'm in the pulpit preaching, not just preaching, mm. but specifically when I'm in the pulpit preaching, when the senior pastor is in the pulpit preaching. And uh, yeah, I think that leads people to sort of ignore a lot of other what we would call pastoral responsibilities and instead become just fixated on preaching. Yeah, do you think it has anything to do with the way that we're trained, that there's a heavier emphasis on preaching than there is pastoral care within even seminaries and sure, of course. colleges? Yeah, I mean, yeah, and, and it's what we there's hear not, There's not enough practitioners mm. at the seminary level. And I have nothing against a professor who's never pastored at all. I mean, I've had, had some great professors who never pastored. Um, but yeah. There's just not enough practitioners at at the training level. Right. And if they hadn't done that, then they're not going to tie that together, the difference between the preaching and the pastoring. I've heard some people say that you can't adequately preach unless you are with the people, unless you're pastoring. Do you hold water to that? Eh, I don't know about that. I think preaching on its own, I think preaching so, can stand on its own to some degree. Let me say this. I think... Um, I think you're I think you're absolutely right, Sam. Preaching can stand on its own. I would say um when I when I when I left the full time pastorate to go to Lifeway, I preached more than I'd ever preached before. I mean I was preaching two to five times a week. And uh but I my experience was that there was something lost in the preaching. So I think Sam is right. I think preaching can stand on its own, but I think preaching was ultimately designed at its optimum to be preached in front of the same people week after week as we shepherd them, move them from one place to another spiritually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think Mike explained it better than me. You know what one of my biggest pet peeves is? What's that? When somebody talks about leading your church and they just, and they say, just preach. The yeah. Word. Yeah. That's right. Just preach the word. Just uh, that. And that, that the word just is important to imply, implying that, that if you just do this, you will be able to lead your church. And, and I would flip that around and say, if you just preach the word, one, you're not leading your church. And two, you are going to get yourself in a whole lot of trouble because leading while leading from the pulpit is important. It is only a sliver of what the full spectrum of church leadership is. So, we've talked mm -hmm. about this in the past, right? We've talked about um, earning relational credibility, right? So, right. Uh, one, I think one of the things – Sermons have greater impact when they are coupled with relational integrity and credibility. And often when preaching is just what we want to do, we want to get up in the pulpit, we want to preach. And for a lot of us, I mean, I was this way. I, I don't know if you guys were this way when we're younger, especially. That's the dream, right? Be able to preach in front of huge crowds and big buildings and, you know, and that sort of thing. And, um, uh, and I think we miss the fact that our preaching has impact when people know us, they see our lives, they see our families, they know that there is credibility behind what we're preaching. It carries weight. Yeah, and I think that there is, and this this isn't anything that would be, you know, accusative or condemning on anyone, but as you grow up, let's say that you grew up, you were younger looking toward being a pastor, right? You were called at a young age and, and you surrendered and such. What is visible is the preaching. That's what we see. Uh, that's what everybody sees. You don't see the day-to-day -day work, even for phenomenal 
pastors. You you just see the preaching aspect of things. And so your mind goes into how that's the thing. It's a similar conversation if you talk to like, say, teachers. Um, they just think of, or when you're growing up, you think a teacher just stands up there and loves the children and explains new truths and stuff. And then when you talk to teachers, they're like, man, it's just a ton of paperwork and a ton of <laughs> testing, you know, and I don't like that part. But you that's know? a really so, good analogy. To say just preach analogy. the word is to equate teaching to just lecturing. Yeah, that's you right. You know, you wouldn't train a teacher and say, well, just lecture really well. Yeah, yeah. that's right. I mean, nobody would say that that's good teaching. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much more creativity, so much on, more on the relational side. And it's the same with, with pastoring. Yeah. So, let's, let's make this transition then in our own conversation. What is it that, sh- that helps us to shift from just being a preacher to a pastor? I mean, let's, let's talk personally for you guys. What helped, me, what helped you make the shift from preaching to pastoring? Herbie. Who was an actual guy in your in that small first church that you passed? Right? I started a mega church of six people. Every, yeah. our list, most of our listeners know that, and yep. we had just gotten rid of the outhouse. We did not have air conditioning, and up to that point, I had been preaching. I'd been supply preaching. I'd been filling in, and I enjoyed it, and it was good. And yeah, I do think that what I was doing at the time stood on its own, but it wasn't pastoring. And Herbie taught me at least the beginnings. I was 24 years old, 25, of how to be a pastor. And, you know, he's the guy, you know, I, I, I joke, but he had more tattoos than teeth. And that's that's re- reality. He's rough kind of dude. But um, I learned to work with him. You know, we, we loved each other in our, its own sort of weird way, you know, and he's older, I'm younger. And, um, but it was a healthy part of me learning how to lead. They didn't care one bit about my preaching. They should have cared more, but they didn't. They didn't care at all. I, I mean, frankly, I could have got up there and preached heresy. They wouldn't have known it and they wouldn't have cared. They just wanted to know that they had a pastor. And for them, the pastor was all on the relational side. And so, I learned. I learned that you're not going to preach your way into church growth. You're not going to preach your way into loving the people. You're not going to preach your way into um, getting a church healthy again. Preaching is extraordinarily important. And I firmly believe in the primacy of the pulpit, but it's one tool of many. And if you only use one tool to build a car, you get a really weird car. And let's acknowledge, too, that uh, church size plays an impact. Church size and culture plays a very large impact on how Uh, the church views your pastoral ability and the demand for sort of pastoral care versus preaching, right? So, Sam, right. you said you were in a mega church of six people. If you weren't intimately involved in every life in your church, you probably were failing and they probably would have a hard time trusting you. Right. It's six people. That's I mean, right. you could call everyone every day. That's right. And yet, but for the three of us right now, um, would you guys say that there's half the people in your church that you don't know well or more or less? What would you say? I'd say, that, I'd say that's fair. Yeah, that, Josh, what would you say? Oh, man, I don't know. Um, of course, you haven't been there that long, Josh. How I haven't been, been here uh, about a year and a half. Yeah. And half of that, we've been in quarantine. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, the, being intimately involved with all of these people is not a reality for me yet. Now... I don't know. I was thinking about it, you know, as you were talking, Sam, I'm not sure that I ever thought preaching was the primary thing that I needed to do. Uh, I always would rather hang out with the people and then preach later. So, but I will say what solidified that for me, which really kind of put it in stark contrast is I worked 
on staff at a church in which um, the the lead pastor was not a pastor. He was he only cared about the preaching and just the personal scars that I carry from being sort of like wounded in those relationships really solidified it in my mind about the importance of being a shepherd or a pastor and not just a preacher. And so I think that we damage a lot of people if we are just preaching and not pastoring. I think we don't fill a role we're supposed to be filling. Micah, what's the Kevin Ezel saying? Kevin Ezel is the president of the North American Mission Board, like he's never met a problem that couldn't be solved at Cracker Barrel. Is that yes, what he says? Yes, that's his argument. That's exactly right. And you know, it's interesting. Kevin's an interesting example. I mean, when Kevin, before he was at the North American Mission Board, he's the pastor at Highview Church in, in Louisville, which was, I don't know, 4,000 people maybe. Sam, does that sound right? Josh? Yeah, maybe more. It was, I, it was a significantly sized church. Yeah. I did not know this until recently, but he freely gave out his cell phone number to everyone in the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you and, and I, and we know almost no mega church pastors who would do that sort of thing. I, I learned that from him, yeah. actually. Yeah. I remember having breakfast with him at a Cracker Barrel. He reached out to me. I wasn't in his church. I was a new pastor in the area. He reached out to me. He gave me his cell phone and I was just blown away. And I still, I, th- I think it's still the same number. Um, we should just hand it out to all our listeners. So everyone can, can get <laughs> just say, right now. Hang on, I'll um, pull it up because he gave it to me too. <laughs> and, and I was Text just blown away. Yeah. And to this day, I still freely give out my cell phone to all my church members. Um, and the way that I talk about this is I say, you don't need to always be available to everyone, but you do need to always be accessible. Yeah. To people. Yeah. They need to feel like they can access their pastor if they need to. It doesn't mean that you need to be on call 24-7 and you have to respond to that text in five minutes, two in the morning. No. But people do need to believe that they that you are available to them. Uh, excuse me. You are accessible to them even if you aren't always available. Uh, being always available is a disaster. I mean, that's just a – you know, you're just going to burn yourself out. Now, but I'd say the balance, the balance is are you accessible to yeah. your people? So, I I have not given out my cell phone to everybody. Um, I've given it out more broadly, but I do give out my email address broadly to everybody um, regularly, often. And I respond and I feel like I respond. Part of my struggle, Sam, to be honest with you, you're a much more highly disciplined individual than I am. And I struggle. If a text or a call comes in, I'm going to respond to it. I just Mm -hmm. can't let it sit. I have a hard time letting it sit. So, if I go on a if I'm away for a weekend or if it's my day off or it's a vacation, I, I really would struggle to avoid uh, phone calls or text. And it's just a discipline issue for me. Just to kind of what we do, we have, um, and I'm sure you guys do too, is VoIP, voice over IP. I have an app on my phone. I don't have an office phone. I have an app on my phone that has a designated number and that we give out. So, it's sort of like giving out your cell number. You can text it, you can call it and it'll go you know, to my cell phone. Those calls I treat a little bit differently, right? And so, I, I could see it. I can, I can set a reminder in the app for me to respond at eight o'clock tomorrow morning, you know, something like that. So I think it's kind of just walking that balance of not giving out my cell number, but giving out a number that you can immediately get to me 
if you needed to. Yeah, and I think that's a good way to handle it. Um, people have th- th- you are accessible to them. However, right. you set that up. It, it's the point that, that can available. you access your pastor? Yeah. It, it's it's. Do you have to give out your cell phone? No, I mean there's other ways to do it. So I I think for me the shift happened just growing up as a kid. My dad pastored. You know, my dad was in the military till I was 13. They retired and became a pastor, and he pastored small rural churches. And everywhere he went, I went. Remember the old my buddy uh, when we were all like I don't know 10 years old. That my buddy, my buddy. Do you remember that little? My buddy, yeah, exactly. That was me with my dad. I was my, I was my dad's buddy. Everywhere he went, I went, and so I still remember. For instance, one of the vivid memories in my mind: I was probably fourteen or fifteen years old, being in the back of a funeral home while my dad preached a funeral for an eighty-two-year-old man who had committed suicide, and his daughters. One of his daughters threw herself in the casket. I mean, it was just very sort of dramatic for me, and as a teenager. Watching my dad love the family, care for the family, lovingly communicate the gospel. They were a, it was a, a two marriages that had come together. And so, I mean, literally there was accusation. It was just, it was awful. Mm-hmm. But those experiences helped shape the way I think about pastoring. Now, having said that, when I came to Brainerd, you know, I'll be here next, about a month from now will be four years for me. And when I came to Brainerd, my expectation was that I would have to be available less often and that I would have to do a little bit less of the relational piece. And probably proportionately I do less, but I, it took me about a year, year and a half to realize I was wrong. And I've spent the past two and a half years working overtime just trying to build relationships because I realized that I had I had short-circuited my ability to lead by not spending a lot of time. And so, I mean, I'm at a church that would be – well, pre-COVID would have been considered a mega church. I don't know what we are now. Uh, we'll see how many people start Nobody coming back. Nobody knows what we are. Yeah. I mean, um, a lot of churches are going to shrink in the next couple of months, I'm afraid. But but it's still, I mean, life group gatherings, you know, going to uh, going out to eat with people. I mean, just constant relationship. Uh, I mean, I bet I'm – I bet in an average week I have 20-plus face-to-face conver- uh, meetings with people personally because the relational piece is so important. So let me share with you guys and our listeners an idea. If you are, maybe you are in your church, but particularly if you are just starting a church, this is something that I use and I've used a couple times. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I got it from you guys. I don't know. But I call it the GIP list, G-I-P. Uh, is that ringing a bell? Have I told you guys this before? No. Okay. No. That, so, this is new. I'm writing this down. <laughs> this is going you, in the show I've, notes. You and I have this, talked this, about this before. G-I-P. The, the G-I-P. So, when you go to a church, ask somebody, and it could be a, you know, a lay leader. It could be if you have an administrative assistant, whatever it is. Ask them to list out, and you can make the number. I made it 10. The 10 top givers, the 10 top influencers, because those aren't always the same, and the 10 top problem makers. And list those, you know, people out. Now, you're going to run into a couple of snags, like somebody might be on both lists, and so you'll add another one to the bottom, you know, stuff like that. And then have them rearrange them. Uh, We put it, we just put it in alphabetical order, right? And So you didn't know who was who? I don't know who's on which list. And um, we just go in alphabetical order. And I start setting up lunches with these people. And if or your church coffee. members are listening to this, they're now having lunches with you wondering which list they're on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think most people know which list they're on. <laughs> at, at this point, it's probably fairly yeah. clear. And the important factor is I don't know which list they are. I still do not know. After having lunch with several of these people, I don't know 
if they're a top giver. I don't. Now, the giver ones are pretty, they're a little bit easier to figure out because all of a sudden they're inviting you to like the nicest steakhouse, you know, it's that <laughs> sort of stuff. So, um, and then you just go spend time with them. And this is one, this does two things. First of all, it, lets you hear and all i do is say hey um first of all you're not in trouble all right because they all think that they're in trouble in some way you are not in trouble i just want to meet people in our church and there's so many people in our church so we just started calling people up and asking them and so you just sit down and and the question i ask if you need a question i'm i always say two things tell me how you came to jesus tell me how you came to our church I want to know these two things and they start talking and those will lead to interesting conversations. So tell me more about your mom. She sounds really incredible or tell me more about that job and those sort of things. So you learn those two things. So you learn the people, you hear the people. The other thing that it does is we have seen over and over people say, man, before you got here, that person was really kind of cantankerous or they were mean or they were something like that. But when you have lunch with people and you just hear, well, they're upset about this or that sort of stuff, and you just walk them through it, you know, I think it's a great way to build relational equity. It it just gives you some, it gives you a tangible way to attack this issue, right? So I, like, how do you spend time with people? I think you've hit on something here, Josh, that, that I've learned that is a r- extraordinarily helpful. And that is make list and systematically work through list in, in, mm-hmm. in, in an effort to develop relationships. So I, I don't have a GIP list, but when I came both here and at my previous church, Frederick, I asked my assistant to put together a list of our oldest members. Mm. And I just started to work my way down from the oldest and I would, I grabbed one of our older staff members who worked with our senior adults and I said, let's just start going to visit. And we would schedule one or two visits a week and just systematically go through and visit these folks. And the point is not, we're not trying to get anything out of it. We're not trying to do anything. I want a couple things to be done. Number one, I want it to be known that I care about um, all of our members, particularly when you're a younger pastor. People are going to be fearful that you're going to, the older folks are going to be fearful that you're going to leave them behind. And so you want to establish that precedent up front. No, we love you. We care about you. Number two, the word's going to get out that you are making an effort to connect with some of the oldest members of the church, many of whom no longer can volunteer. They're on fixed incomes. They can't give generously. It's very obvious. There's no reason you would go to get something out of that other than I want to be a good pastor. I want to care for you. I want to learn who our people are. And I, I mean, I'm scattered enough that if I don't make a list and systematically work through it, it'll probably never happen. I'll have good intentions forever and never do it. So I think the so list is a So we need to make really this the GIP O list. The GIP O, the old, <laughs> and the old. oldest, <laughs> and the yeah, oldest, add the oldest, <laughs> the GIP O list. I, what I think it does is, you know, people feel like you want the, for lack of a better word, the most, the most uh, bang investment. For bang for your buck. You know, I, I was trying not to say that, but yeah, uh, rate of investment. Or well, rate I mean, of you return. only have so much time, so you want to inf- right. invest where you can make, have the biggest impact, have the biggest. And so if you start with your influencers, if you start with your givers, now, why would I do givers? I'm not asking them for any more money. Those people have literally bought in to the church, right? They are invested. And so you want time to just let them know who you are because vision, you know, money follows vision and mission. And so I don't, I don't make any apologies about that. I want them to be very clear of who I am and what they're investing their resources in and they're stewarding God's resources that they've given them. So I just think it's a way to approach it. And then what we did was I went through the whole list and some people won't, you know, uh, 
have time or something like that or you know it just won't work out some people you some people immediately ask me when i share this idea is well what if they're what if it's a lady you know or what if it's a man what if it's somebody of the opposite gender well i just always invite the couple i you know or we'll we'll go out as a a group something so that's not ever been really a problem Um, and then we just start the list over What's the next 10? What's the next 10? You know, that sort of thing. Alphabetical works really great. If you were in a church of, say, less than 100 families, I'd probably just go alphabetical or yeah, something so like that too. because it's it's not hard. Right. Hey, yeah, and I think I think what we're saying is is that transition from preacher to pastor involves relationships, but there has to be a strategy. Yeah, that's right. To the relationships, just like there's a strategy to everything else. And there's nothing wrong with that. So for those of you who may be struggling, like, well, that. Does, is that fair to others who don't get the phone call? Well, listen, whether you rearrange it alphabetically, however you however you rearrange it, somebody's going to get the phone call first. Somebody's going to have the first meal. So, you might as well be strategic about it. Um, and and you don't have to apologize about that. It's just nah. it's just a way that people lead. Yeah, I like my, you know, the old saying, I like my bad way better than your no way. So, that's just, you know. It's a nice that twist of a D.L. Moody quote. That's, <laughs> it's a good quote. It's a quote. And then the other thing. You know, making the transition, how does this help me preach? Well, regularly, I will use the stories that I hear and I will say, man, and you know, the celebratory story, the great stories. It's like just this week I was having lunch with so-and-so and they told me it was a great small group leader that invited them into the church. And that's why we celebrate small groups. And so that sort of preaching connection into the people, into the community. I mean, first, it's just phenomenal. You build trust. So they hear your sermons better. And I mean, the same sermon could be preached by two different people and it'll be received by one and not received by the other. Right. Because one has relational trust or relational investment. And then two, I think your point about illustrations is correct, but I think even broader than that, When you know your people, you address your people better. When you know your church, and all of us like to think that we know, we do lots of research when we come in, it takes a while for us to know. And inevitably, what we think we know when we walked in the door, often many many pieces of it may not prove true. We've just got to keep working at it. And uh, so I would say exegete your church and exegeting your church is, is, is you know, part of your relational responsibility. One of the worst sermons I ever preached I had nothing to do with the content or the delivery or anything that you would learn in a preaching class. Uh, the church, uh, I was full, for, this is my first full-time church. It, it hadn't been there long and uh, a key member had passed away. Just well, well loved. I mean, you're talking about a church of about 80 people. So when with this, this, you know, foundational person passed away, you know, the church was hurting. And then I started a series that was all upbeat and rah-rah and, you know, you know, it wasn't the right tone and that was like the sunday after a a saturday funeral or something and the whole you know i had a key leader kind of pull me aside and the church was very gracious they knew i was young and they knew i was a terrible preacher um but one of the key leaders pulled me aside and just said hey sam um we're hurting We're, we're hurting and you know we we need to hear from our pastor in a way that you know that we're hurting and he was trying to help me and it was it was one of the i still to this day stands out in my mind i mean you're talking something that was 12 13 years ago and and i and it's it's this marker in my ministry of i need to make sure i understand the tone and the tenor and what people are feeling in the congregation and that will help you preach and i think that's part of that transition is just knowing where your people are and being able to speak into it 
That's exactly right. That's all the time we have for today. But I do want to encourage our listeners not to forget to check out Church Initiative's Quick Start Guide to Divorce Care and Grief Share. Again, these are ministries that your church can use to reach the hurting that don't really add a lot of commitments to your calendar, to your daily planner. So if your plate is already full, that's okay. Church Initiative wants you to be able to offer these life-changing ministries so that they do everything they can to help you and the members of your church. If you just uh, connect one volunteer with the church initiative team, their coaches will take it from there and help your lay leaders get this ministry launched. And the coaches will provide ongoing support too, which is really fantastic because we all know you're super busy. Ministry team building, help with promotion, leader support, the coaching is all free and it keeps these tasks off your plate. This is a great way to expand ministry to offer more support to your congregation and reach out to the community. Check out Quick Start Guide for more details and the simple steps that they've set up to get you going and and ready to launch Download the guide at divorcecare.org slash start slash EST or griefshare.org slash start slash EST. That's divorcecare.org slash start slash EST or griefshare.org slash start slash EST. This is a great resource, so we don't want you to miss it. And thank you for not missing us each week. Make sure that you rate, review, subscribe, and let other people know about how much you love EST. Have a great week. Wouldn't it be great to offer a powerful outreach program that lets you care for your congregation and your community? Hi, I'm Tom Rayner. I'm here to tell you that you can make this easier than you think. Let me tell you about divorce care. Pastors love divorce care that is Christ-centered, biblically-based, and comes with a ton of support. You need just one volunteer to start to start it, and Divorce Care provides free ministry coaching to help you launch and run the program. It's a 13-week video-based small group with all the materials and tools provided, so it's incredibly easy for your lay people to lead. Visit divorcecare.org forward slash EST to learn how easy it is to get this ministry started at your church, or you can look in show notes and get the link here as well. You've been listening to EST, a discussion for the established church. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening.